Praise the Lord indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Please be seated. As you see, can I just trouble you to squeeze in, pack in a bit? We have about 15, 20 packs waiting out there. So we're going to create space for them. Ashes, uh, feel free to bring our brothers and sisters who are waiting outside, bring them in. Once again, uh, good morning everyone. Blessed Easter to one and all of you. And also those of you who are somehow not able to join us on Easter Sunday physically, we also want to warmly welcome you as you worship together with us. So once again, we do our Easter declaration. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. One more time. Christ is risen. And one final time loud and clear. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So this is the traditional uh, triple uh, declaration that Christ is Reason, I see some young people at midst, and they haven't seen me in this attire before, so they gave me very puzzled looks. Right? The reason I wear this is because Easter Sunday really is the most important Sunday of all the Sundays. Right? Without Easter, really the Christian story is incomplete. Without Easter, what God has done for us on Good Friday is not inadequate because Christ's blood is able to atone, to pay for all the sins, our sins, the whole world. But it is incomplete because the second half of the story needs really to be finished and proclaimed. Without Easter, God is still good. He still loves us because He died for us. And that's the story of Good Friday. But to some extent, He's powerless because He's not over, able to overcome the power of death and of the grave. And so Easter is that very important second half of the story. And so I commemorate this year, every year, with this uh, wedding suit. For 15 years, this is my 15th wedding anniversary. Woohoo! <clears throat> but I must be honest again this morning when I buckled, oh, very tight. <laughs> ah, thank God for the resurrection to come. <laughs> but seriously, without Easter, you know all the mockery that, uh, that went on at the foot of the cross when they were accusing Jesus, he saved others, but he's not able to save himself. Without Easter, that statement really will be true. He's able to save others, but not able to save himself. But thank God, really praise be to God, Jesus rose from the dead and Easter completes this very important story for all of us. Without Easter, with the story that God loves us is true, but it is incomplete. But with Easter, we have the full and complete picture. God is not just loving, but he is powerful. He is the Lord Almighty. So let me read our scripture passage, First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 80 for us this morning. And let's dive deeper into the implications of what Jesus' resurrection means. That great reversal that is really planned for all of us. Verse 20. Let's read this scripture passage together. One, two, three. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. 
Now, when he says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Come, let us pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for this glorious scripture that reminds us of the end to come. What your desire, your desired intention and outcome really is like. Holy Spirit, we ask that you once again fall upon us afresh. Fill this place with your presence, that our minds truly may hear your word and your spirit will take these truths and plant it deep in us and cause these truths to bear fruit and to grow to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in case you missed the Good Friday sermon, on Good Friday I shared three similar sounding words, tall, thorn, and torn, to remind us of the Good Friday message. Tall, the, Jesus tore Jesus, uh, the, the soldiers tore Jesus' flesh, but not his clothes. Sin also tore Jesus from the presence of his beloved father. He cried out, quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But yet all these are just instances of the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. The fulfillment of God's wonderful plan of salvation, centuries in the making, God had it planned for centuries, and finally, in the time of Jesus, all were fulfilled. The word thorn reminded me of the crown of thorns. For the soldiers, it was to inflict pain, suffering, to mock him. He said he was king, okay, let's give him a crown of thorns. But from God's point of view, it's the reversal of the Old Testament curse, when Adam sinned, the curse came upon him, and on the ground, it will bear thorns and thistles. But when Jesus bore the crown of thorns, it reversed everything. The original curse, the power of the curse has been broken. And then finally, thorn, the third temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. And so it's an act of God, symbolizing to all of us the end of the Old Testament era. So today, we celebrate Christ's resurrection. He's rising from the dead brings about a new reality, a great reversal of this world that we live in. We live in this world with all its sin and its effects, its pain, its punishment, and many disappointments. But the resurrection proclaims to us a message of great hope. Now, to be very clear, this, re- this reality has already begun. And scholars like to use this word, inaugurated. The thought about God's kingdom has begun, right? But it is not yet fully completed. Now, Apostle Paul, to some extent, gives us the spoiler. So this is really the spoiler alert. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15-20, to 20, he tells us the end of the story. So it's like, if you can imagine reading a storybook, resurrection story is somewhere in the middle of God's great narrative, great story. But 1 Corinthians 15-20 to 20 tells us the final chapter, the final outcome, which is the good news. So in a good way, actually, I think it's good that we ended our Good Friday service with that dance item, Tell Your Heart to Beat Again, and some of the lyrics of that song, that dance item was this, was this, yesterday's a closing door, we don't live there anymore. Tell your heart to beat again. Of course, it's a proclamation of good news and hope. With God, all things are possible. Trust in God. But I think we should also go beyond the metaphorical meaning that our hearts will literally beat again because of Christ's resurrection. And that's the first point for us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 teaches us that there will be a resurrection, a physical resurrection for everyone, for all of us. Verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits 
of those who have fallen asleep. Now, this term first fruits may be unfamiliar to many of us, especially here in Singapore, because we don't live in an agricultural society. We just go to the supermarket and buy our fruits, right? <clears throat> but in the Old Testament, God commanded his people to give the first and the best portions of the harvest as an offering to him. And this included grain, olive oil, new wine, honey, sheep wool, fruit, even their herds and flocks. By giving the first fruits as an offering to God, essentially there were three layers of meaning. The Israelites acknowledged that everything that they had came from God. Everything came from God and everything should be offered up to God. In certain church traditions, actually whenever they celebrate Holy Communion, they bring the actual loaf up as an offering. Right? Maybe one day we have an opportunity or maybe a spiritual formation retreat, we can do that. Bring that loaf as a symbol of our offering to God and then God breaks it. But that's everything, acknowledging that all things come from God, it returns to God. It's also an expression of thanksgiving. Thank God for this harvest. In the agricultural society, there are many things you cannot control. They don't have modern technology, irrigation, everything nicely done. And so there'll be droughts. It's not guaranteed that you always will have the harvest. In Malaysia, our closest neighbor, we know there can be floods. And when there are floods, the harvest, the produce is affected. And that's the reality of life. And so when they offer that first fruits to God, it is of thanksgiving. But really, it's also an act of faith to believe that, yes, God has blessed us with these first fruits. We anticipate greater harvest, greater things to come. And so the first fruits really have these three dimensions, acknowledging God's ownership of everything. All things come from God and all things goes to God. It's an act of thanksgiving and finally it's an anticipation of what is to come. And so when Apostle Paul, he wrote this passage, he says, Christ, the first fruits, he applies all these three dimensions to Christ as well. Jesus is the first and the best person to be resurrected in a dramatically new way. Now, Jesus did raise Lazarus from the dead, but their resurrection is not the same as his own resurrection because Lazarus cannot walk through closed doors, but Jesus could. So his resurrection is the first of an entirely different kind. It signifies that all life really comes from God. It's a completely new source of life and hope. And, it will, and all life belongs to God anyway. Second, Jesus' resurrection signals that other resurrections will one day follow. His is only the first of many to come. And then finally, it's an anticipation of what will come. In verses 23 to 28, we will cover later on what is the greater things, what are the greater things to come. So the challenge in interpreting this passage is not so much in understanding first fruits, but really to understand who will be resurrected and when. Who will be the ones resurrected and when? Now first, will it be only Christians who are resurrected or will everyone be resurrected? To answer this question, look no further than verses 21 to 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Do we all die? Christians and non-Christians alike? Yes, I see many heads nodding. It's the reality. We will all die, whether we are Christians or not. But just as death came through one man, the first Adam, so too, Paul says, resurrection will come through one man, the second Adam, that is Jesus Christ. In Adam, the first Adam, all die, but in Christ, all will be made alive, all will be resurrected. So here Paul declares and promises that Christ essentially reverses the effects of death. 
all will be resurrected. I preached earlier this year in my sermon entitled God as Judge, so I don't want to go through the details, but let me just quickly summarize the Christian teaching. There are many passages that teach that both believers and unbelievers will rise from the dead. Acts chapter 24, verse 15, Paul says, There shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And then in John chapter 25, chapter 5, verses 28 to 29, For an hour is coming, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their grace will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will, be, will, be rise, will rise to be condemned. So quite clearly, the answer to this first question is yes. All, everyone will be resurrected. But the consequences of the resurrection are very different. One will rise to eternal life, the other will rise to eternal condemnation. The more complicated part actually is when and how many resurrections there will be. Verse 23 says, But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. When Paul says each in his own order, each in turn, he has this idea of a marching unit of a Roman army. So picture this, there's a great triumphal procession, the general comes back victorious from battle, and marching behind the general will be his first officers. The next highest rank of officers followed by the subsequent ranks, lower and lower, they will march finally to the lowest rank, the foot soldiers. But they're all marching in order, each in turn, following the triumphant king, right? So the resurrection of the dead will be the same. Jesus Christ is the head. I'm glad we had the flagging just now. Jesus is the head, and then each of us in order, according to you know, whatever God has in place for all of us. That there are different times or orders of resurrection is also confirmed in Scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Not everyone will rise at the same time. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then, Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, Apostle John says, I saw thrones, and they sat on them. The judgment was committed to the saints. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life, and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, did not live again, did not come to life until the thousand years were finished, were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part, those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Now, the very fact that there is a first resurrection means there will be a second and subsequent resurrections. So it is not my intention today really to go into a full-blown teaching on this subject, Suffice it to say that all of us will be resurrected one day, regardless of when, depending on your marching order, your rank, right, in God's point of view. The more important question and what we can do something about is what will we be awakening to? Will we arise to eternal life or are we resurrecting, are resurrecting to eternal condemnation? And that is where faith in Christ comes in. Later on, our ministry song, our response song is Thank You, Jesus, for the blood applied. Without faith in Christ, there is only one ending. But if we profess faith in Christ, and that is the good news, 
It is not about what we have done, but what Christ has done. Everyone, no matter what sins we have committed, God is able to forgive and apply the blood of Christ to us and we can receive that forgiveness and eternal life in Christ. And so true faith in Christ will determine the final outcome. So that's the first point, the resurrection of all. Christ, the first suit, resurrected. Everyone else will follow suit, but each in his own time. Second point, the reign overall. When Christ rose, it is really to continue his reign. Let's look at verses 24 to 26. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. We sang that song just now. He shall reign. He must reign, in fact, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Because of the resurrection, what we should really look forward to is the kingdom of God in his fullest realization is completion. With Christ's incarnation and resurrection, this kingdom reign has begun. As I mentioned, scholars say it has inaugurated, but it is not yet fully realized. Our pre-TM, our local preacher, QC, preached this morning. If you came very early for the sunrise service, I doubt it, right? Because you came at 10 o'clock. For the 8 o'clock folks, they attended the sunrise service. QC preached on leaving the kingdom of God now. I have a sermon recorded. When it's due, you'll be out on YouTube. You can always refresh and catch it up for yourself. He preached on living the kingdom of God now. That's the implication of the resurrection. We can all be involved in the kingdom of God's reign now. But we also recognize that the full reign of God is not yet complete. Christ has to destroy all powers and dominions first. He must continue to reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And Apostle Paul says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Clearly, death has not been destroyed, right? If not, we won't suffer the pain of losing a loved one. Death is still prevalent in our world. We still see the effects of sin and death all around us. And so, it is very clear that while Christ's reign has already begun, inaugurated, it is not yet fully realized. And school scholars call this period the now, but not yet. It has begun now, everybody. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus preached it, it continues to grow, but it is not yet fully realized. So if you ask me why this is so, part of the reason I believe is because Christians, we are not really doing our part to bring God's kingdom into our world. I'm not just talking about Amokyo Methodist Church. It's really the global body of Christ. Until and unless the global body of Christ is awakened to our calling and duty and destiny, I'd like to think from a pastoral angle, we are the ones actually delaying the realization of the kingdom of God. We don't realize what God has really done. We don't appropriate the power of the resurrection in our daily living to extend the kingdom of God. Our minds are not really renewed because we don't read the word of God regularly enough. It's not you, you ingested in us to transform our minds, but if we read it often, regularly, daily, in fact, many times a day, our minds begin to be renewed. We are filled by the Spirit of God. And that's where we begin to live out our lives as Christians, uh, as kingdom citizens. And then we begin to inaugurate and expand God's kingdom, influence God's kingdom in our world. So I think many of us, we have not really taken our discipleship journey seriously. We have not really asked for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's one reason why the, the kingdom of God is not yet fully realized. But again, it's not just us here at Amokyo Methodist Church. 
but maybe we are the first fruits for the global body awakening, part of the first fruits of the body awakening to fulfill God's really desired intention. So again, our local preacher, QC, this morning, he preached that without the resurrection, we will not be able to live the kingdom life for the very simple fact that the Holy Spirit will not be sent. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead and ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit would not have been sent. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to extend the kingdom reign. But the good news is that Christ is risen and he has sent his Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait for another Pentecost. All of us have free access to the Father through faith in Jesus and all of us can ask for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. God does not practice favoritism. All of us, through faith in Christ, can approach Him and receive the empowerment and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's this Holy Spirit who will enable us to appropriate the unseen and powerful divine reality that all of us, we are now citizens of heaven. And we need to behave and act like citizens of heaven. People who have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. Living by the power of the Holy Spirit is the only way, really, it's the only way we can advance God's kingdom. Not by human effort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so be on mission with the Master towards the restoration that God intends. I'm going to show you a video testimony. Let me get the team ready to do this. To remind us of the great power that is available for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. As we join Him, we are to join Christ. He must reign, and He wants to extend His reign, but now He includes us, and we need to learn that we actually have to carry the authority and responsibility, primarily through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. But we are given that call to extend God's authority, to bring people out of darkness into His marvelous light. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's John chapter 10, verse 10. But verse John chapter 3 tells us, Christ comes to destroy the works of the evil one. And when he has resurrected, he sends us the Holy Spirit to continue this work of demolishing the powers of evil. So let's show this testimony. It's taken from a church in uh, S uh, in KL, SIB. The Easter testimony. JJ and Jane, when they grew up together, when they are young, they are very good. We, we actually spent a lot of our younger days together playing. What I know, I really remember about him was, he was always looking out for me. But then we went our separate ways. He went to New Zealand, I was in UK, my sister was in US, so he went to uni. What we noticed um, about Jin, he was doing a lot of things that were not like him. His language became very bad. He wasn't nice to look at, like, look very haggard, very tired, very stressed, very dirty looking, very smelly. He behaved very odd in public, erratic behaviour, um, loud, obnoxious. So he was talking a lot to, and to many people, but there's nobody around except for me. He started to speak Bahasa Indonesia fluently and he was saying that he has got a wife, his kids are in the toilet and he can see just a lot of things going on. I remember we sat at the dining table and 
she keep looking back towards the staircase and saying that there's somebody there, there's someone there. I said, Jin, there's nobody here. Then he says, no, there's children in my room. I can see them. He would say that he's hungry, but every time we give him food, right, his jaw would lock. Mm, wouldn't allow it to close. close. He cannot chew his food. But once you remove the food from his mouth, his mouth closed. I managed to get uh, Pastor Gilbert's help to come and pray for Jin as well. And Pastor Gilbert pulled me aside and said that you need to get your brother to the hospital now. During the time he was in the hospital, the doctors uh, tried to get him to be still. He was all tied up, struggling and fighting. Then she gave him an epidural to to paralyze his lower body so he wouldn't struggle so much. But all that didn't work. The, their last resort was to put him into a clinical coma. After they managed to get a clear image of his MRI, um, the doctor showed me the picture that there were lacerations on a certain part of his brain. Because of that damage, doctor says that he will always be like that. His, his eyes and his mouth and his hand gestures will not be able to coordinate. The psychiatric doctors pulled me aside and said that not everything can be explained medically. The crushing part that came to us was that the doctor told me that your brother may need to be committed to a mental asylum permanently. It was next level um, bad news. If my son were to die, I just moan for a few days. If my son go into the insane hospital, then I have to suffer all my life. That was when I felt crushed. I felt hopeless. We realized that there's nothing we can do but to focus on God. That's where um, it was the first time that the family actually sat together to pray. First time I heard my dad pray, first time my mom prayed freely in front of me. I just asked God to help heal him, clear his mind so that he can continue to live life again. Yeah. I pray so freely in the hospital, just loudly, I just pray over him. We need to find hope, you know, in our whole situation at that time. And the only way we can do that is through worship. And when we worship, we put aside our issues, we put aside our problems, we put aside whatever that we are facing, whether with our own family, with Jean, and we just focus on God and say, you know, God, you are great. God, you are good. God, we know you are here. I was also very encouraged to, to push in deeper, to push in harder. As we pushed in and as we prayed, the phone call came when the, the nurse on the other side said, come and take your brother back. When I went to pick him up, he was having a normal conversation with me. Every day from that time, I would dare say he recovered 100%. Jin told me this, if this is hell, I do not work, I do not wish it on my worst enemies. We saw the changes in, in Jin, a total transformation in his behavior. I feel God has saved him, picked him up from the deepest pit and gave him a new lease of life. I felt that God 
wasn't merely holding my hand. He was literally carrying me through this period. He allowed me to, to be able to take this experience and share with people that you know, the spiritual battles are real. I'm not afraid, I'm not shy to talk about God anymore. Truly, to God be the glory. But the spiritual battles are real. And many of us, we defeat, are defeated or we live defeated lives because we don't realize the power of the resurrection is also available to all of us. The kingdom of God must reign. Christ must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet and he involves us in that partnership. <clears throat> Are we seeking for greater breakthroughs like this testimony? Even though Lent season is over, I want to challenge us, if you can, continue the bridegroom fast. Not just fasting for spiritual breakthroughs in our lives, but really to hunger for more of God, for more of His kingdom in realities in our lives. We really look to God. We look forward to your return. For until He comes in fully, the, the fullness of the kingdom will never be fully established. But let's do our part to hunger and pray and ask for more of God. Third point for today, restoration of all. Now, in case you don't know, Jesus has a far greater goal in mind than just reconciling us back to the Father. Yes, it's true. Jesus did die for us, and God does love us very much. And the curtain temple that was torn into two symbolizes how we now have free access to God the Father through what Jesus has done. But we mustn't be so self-centered to think that all that Jesus has done is only for us. It's not just about us. Because as verse 24 tells us, Jesus wants to hand over or to return the kingdom of God to his Father. That is Jesus' intention, to return the kingdom of God to his Father. And now listen to verses 27 to 28 again. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when he says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who has put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now this phrase, put everything under him, his feet, is taken from Psalm 8, verse 6. Psalm 8, you can read along in your phone Bibles or the Pew Bibles. It's a wonderful creation psalm, specifically about the status and destiny of humanity. So God is this majestic, glorious God, and yet he decided to create man. What is man that you're mindful of him? Yet man is created a little lower than angels, yet crowned with glory. And he's created to reign over all created things, birds, fish, land, animals, so and so forth. You can read it for yourself, Psalm 8. And so when Paul quotes this psalm, he has an intention. He wants to show us the need to restore God's original intention for mankind, for humanity. As we know the story so well, when Adam sinned, everything became disordered. I share this again earlier. As individuals, originally, let's look at the diagram. We were meant to live by God's Spirit. God's Spirit right, will breathe into us His Spirit. God breathed His Spirit into us and then man became a living being. So we are supposed to live in accordance with God's Spirit. Our soul, is not, the Spirit is the invisible part. The body is obviously the physical part. The soul is the intermediary, the intersection between the invisible and the visible. And that includes our mind, our will, our emotions. These are real dimensions of us, who, make, who we are, right? But it's not exactly visible, but yet, 
in some ways real. But when sin came, this whole order was completely messed up. It was turned the other way around. And many people live with the gods of their stomach. And Singaporeans as foodies, we are all guilty of this. And because of this disorder, we live to feed the body instead of feeding the spirit. Prayer and word, feed, fasting, feed the spirit. But when we feed our physical bodies alone and we give in all to our carnal desires and flesh, the spirit of God becomes ignored and our spirits are dead. And that's what sin has done to us. And so when we are saved, we are supposed to be restored as individuals to the original order, lived by the Spirit of God, and we will not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. Now this same concept is also applicable to all creation. When God created the original creation, God was supposed to be the head, the king. And then man was given authority to rule over the earth, to subdue, to steward creation. The fact that Adam had authority to name the animals tells us that man actually has the divine authority over all creation. But with sin, again, flipped upside down. Creatures and creation now have greater authority over us. Because we refuse to let God reign, we push God aside. In fact, we put him at the lowest, we reject him. We also lose the authority because authority comes from him. And we become victims of a broken world that we also have unfortunately exploited. We abuse resources, we don't take care of the earth, we just live for ourselves, so self-centered. And so we find ourselves powerless against natural disasters because we have forsaken our God-given authority. But Jesus, who is 100% God, 100% man, showed us that he has authority over wind and waves. Where did that come from? Of course, it's God, but he also showed us that if we live under divine authority, actually, creation is supposed to bow to Jesus, to God. So what Christ seeks to do is to restore this distorted creation back to its original intention. Where God reigns. After he destroys death, he submits everything, returns to God. God the Father reigns. Christ himself will submit to God. And then we submit to Christ and creation submits to us. That is God's original intention for creation. And he intends to do this. And that's why in verse 28, he says, when Christ has done this, Apostle Paul writes, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. And so the resurrection, therefore, is just the beginning of God's grand plan of salvation. And that's why I said, Good Friday is only half the story. It is adequate, but incomplete. With Easter, the full story of God's salvation is complete. It has begun, but now we are supposed to carry on. Whenever I preach at wakes and funerals, I like to use the following story. The story was told about how one time chess master Bobby Fischer, along with a friend, he went to see this Ingmar Bergman film, The Seventh Seal. The plot of this classic film revolves around a medieval knight who engages in a game of chess with death. So they are playing chess, death, the evil one, versus this person in the movie. <clears throat> Throughout the film, these two, they will make moves on each other, chess moves. And then as the movie comes to a climax, Death, the prince of darkness, makes a move and with great finality utters the word, checkmate. And with that, the curtain comes down and the movie is over. Now, for those of us who are lay people, we don't know chess, we will surely walk away from the movie. What? What a tragedy. You mean at the end, death wins? But Bobby Fischer was there. And according to the story, he was sitting in the audience 
he turned to his friend in a very puzzled tone and exclaimed, Hey, what are you doing? Why is he giving up? The king has one more move. The king has one magnificent move that will turn the tide and win the game. And indeed, our king, Jesus, our king, has one more move to reverse the entire situation. Resurrection is only the start. He has one more final move to destroy death, that last enemy. So Christ, as our first fruit, he desires to extend his kingdom reign. He will one day make that final move to destroy death completely and restore all creation to its original intended order. Everything in earth, on earth and in heaven subject to God as king. A wonderful, good king. The problem with many of us is that we see this fallen world and we think all authority is bad. That's because of sin. But God's authority is good. He is a good king. A powerful, good and loving king. And it's our joy and privilege <coughs> to march with this king. <coughs> so to summarize, and let me get the music team up as we prepare for ministry. 1 Corinthians 15, this resurrection tells us it's a resurrection of all peoples. It will be a reign over all powers. We can expect that. And we are supposed to participate in God's reign over all powers, especially the powers of evil and wickedness. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and dominions. That's where the spiritual battles are real. And later on during the ministry time, we'll pray for those of you in, in trouble as well. We'll pray in Jesus' name for that power of the victory. And then finally, God's desire to restore all creation. Because of the resurrected Christ, the first fruits, we can expect this is the closing chapter. <laughs> this will be the final story. Whatever we experience now, as painful as it is, it's not the end of the story. We are to expect something greater. Let's stand. I'm going to get the music team to lead us in this song. Thank you for the blood. As we sing this song, a few responses. Maybe for some of us, you don't yet believe in Jesus. Maybe you think to yourself, hey, will Jesus forgive me? I'm such a sinner. The Word of God tells us that's a lie. Indeed, we are unrighteous. We are sinners. But the good news is that Christ died for sinners. And so we can, through faith, come to believe in Jesus. Second group of people, for those of us who may be struggling with spiritual powers of evil or circumstances in our lives which seem hopeless, as we sing this song, may God give you that grace really to overcome these circumstances. And finally, for all of us, we ask for a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit to enable us as kingdom citizens to bring His kingdom reign on earth. Come, let us sing this song of response.